0: I've said this before, I will say it again, I think there are restaurants that fail and there are restaurants that struggle, but the, the reasons that uh, that cause restaurants to fail are different than the reasons that cause them to struggle. Today, we're talking with Bo Davis, he's one of the co-founders of Margin Edge, and this piece of software is so sophisticated, so outstanding, I'm I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't even know about it until about a year, year and a half ago, but it is so very good and I think really crucial uh, for restaurant owners to uh, to consider. On today's episode, we're going to talk certainly about the software, but more than that, Bo is not only only a, a tech guy, but also an operator himself. So he built this program to scratch his own itch. Got a ton of insights, both from the operator side and the tech side. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy. A podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Quoze and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing, operations, everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20-plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my group coaching programs to address and overcome the specific challenges we face in our industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free 45-minute strategy session at restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Now. We all know managing costs is one of the most important parts of running a profitable restaurant, especially now. But between fluctuating vendor prices, waste, labor, and the never-ending list of tasks that demand your attention on a daily basis, it can be challenging for even the most experienced of us to manage costs well. That's where Margin Edge comes in. Margin Edge is a complete restaurant management software that automatically uses data from your POS and invoices to show you your food and labor costs in real time. Don't wait until it's too late. Margin Edge gives you tools to make decisions in the moment, like a daily P&L, price alerts on key ingredients, and real-time plate costs, all without ever having to touch a spreadsheet. Take control of your costs, work more efficiently, and be more profitable. Learn more at marginedge.com slash chip. As always, that link is in the show notes. So my guest on today's show is a gentleman named Bo Davis, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Margin Edge. Uh, They might sound familiar because they are one of the sponsors of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast. We're going to get into that and so much more on today's episode. Bo, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much. I'm so
0: excited to be here, Chip. Listen, it's my pleasure to have you here. Uh, I love the product. I love the software. I love the solution it provides. There will be plenty of time Um, to get into that, Uh, but before we do that, I want to give the audience some context. Uh, Tell me uh, what what led you to create a piece of software for restaurants?
1: Well, so my background uh, began uh, sadly very long ago in software in the late 90s, Uh, higher ed tech. I started and sold a technology company and then in 2005 got the brilliant idea to go into the restaurant business. Uh, With no experience whatsoever, myself and two buddies opened our first restaurant in Washington. DC, a banker, a lawyer, and a tech guy uh, with, with no experience. And I think um, I saw that movie. Yeah, it's like a bad joke. And I, I tell people <laughs> I was clearly the least intelligent of the three because a year later, I was the one that was still in it. Uh, and so, um, yeah, so for 10 years, I went on to open about a dozen restaurants um, and uh, got lots of experience in the in the headaches of the restaurant business, which I know we'll talk a little bit about. And then uh, learned a lot and from from those learnings, basically started Margin Edge to try and solve some of those back
0: office problems that we struggled. So, uh that's inc- that's incredible. Um what made you think that you could do it? Like like what was the thing you were like, yeah, we can do this?
1: So, um I mean, first I would say the the problem was so glaring that there had to be a better solution. So, you know, when we started our first restaurant, Wasabi in, in DC, we're at seventeenth Decay down by the White House. We opened this restaurant and, you know, again, a finance guy, banker, lawyer, myself, I had a tech background. And we thought it couldn't be that hard. I mean, honestly, we were, we were a little arrogant about it. We were like, how hard could it be, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a restaurant. So we opened it up and, uh, and just that realization of how difficult it is to manage variable revenue, variable costs, right? Your food costs, your labor costs are changing every day. You don't know what your sales are gonna be. So you're trying to predict what your sales are. You got a tiny margin you're trying to hit. Everything's variable. And so six months in, we were like, pulling our hair out because the numbers, like all the other stuff people talk about with the restaurant business, that's also hard. It's true, right? The labor, the quality of the food, the service, like sure, those things are also hard. What we didn't expect, or I'll speak for myself, what I didn't expect was... The financial part to be so hard, um, and uh, and so you know, six months in back in two thousand five, we knew there had to be a better way, and we started working on some solutions just to manage our own restaurants. And so it was that process of of years of trying to dial in really tightly what we were doing that that made it um, obvious that a solution needed to be built that that could could do a better job.
0: So before we uh, before we move back into tech, I want to stay. Sure. in the restaurant operator world, sure. because I'm so fascinated by this, sure. uh, because your story is not uh, unique in that respect. You said yourself, it's a, it's sure. a cliche. Right? People think, oh, it's it's easy. I, I can do this. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, variable revenue, variable cost. There's a seasonality sure. um, to everything. You know, it gets a, you know, a little bit cold. People stay home. It gets a little bit too hot. People stay home. It's raining. Yeah. And for us, we, stay were in home.
1: The, we were in the CBD in the commercial business district down by the White House. And so we were act at lunch. We had to line out the door. We brought a chef from London. It's a long story, but we were living in London when we decided to do it. So we bring a chef over from London who was pretty well acclaimed. And so when we opened, we were in the Washington Post several times. We had articles, like we got lots of attention. And at lunchtime, mob, line out the door, Dinner time, eh, and weekends dead. And so one of the lessons we learned was not just seasonality, but like, you have to do a lot of revenue in an hour and a half at lunch to make this thing yeah. worthwhile. It's... Very hard, right? It's very, very this hard, right? This is
0: one of the things that I talk to a lot of operators about, right? Like, I've said this before on the podcast, I'll say it again for your benefit. Uh, Seth Godin has this old thing. He says, um, uh, you know, Seth Godin, marketing <laughs> guru, he says, you know, the marketer loses when he tries to convince somebody of two things. Meaning, do you drink coffee? Oh, you don't? Well, you definitely should, because coffee is great in the morning, really wakes you up, gives you a lot of energy. And when I convince you of that, let me convince you to come to my coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So I got to convince you to drink coffee, I had to convince you to come to my coffee shop. That there's something obvious about demand, right? About, about serving demand. This is obvious uh, in telling your story. Obviously, you're hoping for nighttime business, you're hoping for weekend business, but where you were, the demand really was from, well, let's say 11.30 to one fifteen right. Monday through Friday. Right. So how did you, so how, you know, you wrestle with that. How did that shake out? So
1: we we leaned heavy on takeaway, right? So we had a limited number of seats because it was just what we built and it was our first place and we didn't really know what we were doing. So we didn't have enough seats to do enough revenue during the peak times. So we leaned really heavy into takeaway and sold a ton of takeaway business. It was a Japanese restaurant, so lots of teriyaki, uh, chicken curry, that sort of stuff. And so that did really well probably for like six or seven years. And then DC changed their food truck laws. And we went from having a small number of places you could eat lunch around us to like 40 food trucks on a public park in front of our space and just (laughs) killed it. It was crazy. Our revenue dropped like, I mean, I can laugh now, it's been 12 years, but our revenue dropped like, you know, 60% because the food truck laws changed, which just, again, goes to the difficulty of the restaurant business, right? Like, how do you know DC is going Completely restructure the food truck program when you sign a 10 year lease. Um, Right. So we leaned into takeaway. Food trucks came, hurt the business. We ended up opening other restaurants. Um, that one ended up struggling after the food trucks, but our most successful concept is actually conveyor belt sushi in um, shopping malls. So like in a large regional shopping mall. So we have one here okay. in Tyson's Corner that is just a behemoth. It does, it's not physically large, it's only 1800 square feet, but the volume it does is crazy out of those 1800 square feet. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I opened a number of restaurants, and and my big lesson on the on understanding demand was, you know, you hear all the time, location, 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 right? Everyone says that yep. location, which is true, but what's inside of location, location, location that not everybody recognizes is that it's the concept and the the demographic right the local environment you can have the same location that might crush as a coffee shop and fail as a sushi place right or whatever right i mean it's it's more about income levels and so what we found for our sushi restaurants is there were some places we could put it and like the one that's in northern virginia right now it does amazing it has for 17 years or sorry sorry 13 years um but others that are the exact same concept that are in a good location for some kinds of food (laughs) to just, you know, they do 30% of the sales that this one does, right? Yeah, I mean, it's
0: the definition of product market fit, which goes back to demand, right? Like, what do the people want? What are the people willing to pay for? What's the unique is,
1: in problem. technology, you get to, like, build something and find pockets of demand around sure. the country, and in a restaurant, they need to be on your block, <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right, or yes, your delivery yes.
1: zone—it's so much harder.
0: So I want it before I leave. Uh, before I leave, Bo, the operator, which I'm sure we'll come back to you because uh, it's so much influences. Uh, I'm sure. sure what what you do and and how you think. But you said uh, in the beginning, you know, six months in, you were like trying to get a handle on the numbers. Do you can you remember back to the point when you felt like you you understood a little bit of the ebb and flow that you you had a, a structure in place or a system yeah. that would help you think about the variability?
1: Yeah. So what we did was it, it, we basically, because I had a technology background and I was a software developer by, by trade coming out of school, I actually built a tool internally that basically did like three percent of what margin edge does as far as sophistication and and all of that but like fundamentally was a similar concept in that it could capture the managers could put in their invoices daily we could see what our food costs were versus sales we could see the labor data could get pulled from the pos automatically every night and it gave us a running Uh, literally every day and it did projections forward so it would say here's what we think sales are going to be next week based on a trailing four-week average compared to last year right so it built in seasonality so it did projections and it it did and it was not pretty and it was it was pretty straightforward but but that's how what allowed us to operate at one point we had seven restaurants in five states and the only way we could do that was that kind of visibility. So we knew every day what was going on.
0: So because this is what so many operators struggle with. And this is something that I really try to um, hammer home in the in the people that I talk with and the and certainly the clients I coach with, which is that you know, you've got to build projections, you have to a projection is just an educated guess and you can get more or less educated about how you make that guess. But what do you think you're going to do next sure. month? And given that knowledge, Given that information, what does that mean for where your cost of goods have to be and labor, et cetera, et cetera? Yep. So, I mean, obviously, so, okay, and we'll get into talking about margin edge, but you sort of built it to scratch your own itch. I mean, the, oh, certainly this rudimentary version, yeah, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the rudimentary version was only for us and it was internal and it was, it was the obsession with needing to know what my numbers were every day and just not, it's just not acceptable to be in a business and not know what your numbers are. Right. And, and so, yep. yeah. And the projections, like we used a pretty straightforward calculation that was just the, if you took your trailing four weeks compared to last year, whatever percent you were up or down, apply that to next week and then it's pretty accurate. Like, I mean, you know, if you get a snowstorm or whatever, it'll be off. But, like, it's pretty yep. accurate. Um, and using that, yeah, that and then having the numbers very close to live just makes all the difference.
0: So, you know, what's interesting is that when I, when I end up connecting with a client or a prospective client who's never done this, the sheer exercise of it, of sitting down and trying to think, if I said, hey, what are you going to project out for next month? You know, what are the weekly revenues and what do you think you're gonna make? Just just forcing them to sit down and go, oh, well, I've never thought about it. How would I think about that? And trying to arrive at a number and then thinking about like, okay, how did you factor that? How did you come up with that number? Um, I think a powerful exercise just because it gets them thinking about it and they don't understand or so yeah. many operators out there don't understand the value of doing that and how and how much of an impact that can have on your business.
1: Yeah. Now, I think especially after your first, the first year, I do feel like you're flying a little blind, but after the sure. first year, yeah, I, I personally, I think you'd be a little crazy not to be doing that. Yeah.
0: So then talk to me about how how it came to be talk to me about the the genesis of the software at what point were you like this needs to exist and nothing like this exists and hey i can create something really great or better than anything else out there or did you go talk to other operators or talk to me about that process yeah
1: Yeah. so i had been in the restaurant business for about seven or eight years we had opened uh, a number of restaurants as i mentioned um and we were in a position where i had gotten um I'd opened a number of restaurants that were really struggling. We opened some restaurants in locations that were not good fits. And we had this issue where we had a couple of restaurants that were like amazing frankly and then we had some real dogs um but we had spent we had spent real money on the dogs and so i was in a pretty dark place to be perfectly honest i was not happy we were uh we were bleeding money and had some difficult decisions to make and so i had met a gentleman um a couple years earlier sort of serendipitously who had been with the outback group for years and um had helped grow the bonefish brand so he had a very successful long restaurant background and so i reached out to him and said hey love to talk to you we got together it turned out he had sold his interest back to Outback just recently and was headed for retirement. And I talked him into coming in to help me as a consultant on Wasabi. And so he came in, really a breath of fresh air. I needed I needed outside eyes. I was struggling. We had we had some issues. Um, And so he came in and was helping and we were making some tough decisions. We had to close some restaurants. Um, But pretty quickly he realized that the process that we had set up in the back of house was very unique. You know, he came from a multi-billion dollar organization that didn't have financials as quickly as we had them. Um, And certainly not as reliable and so um he and i basically then set up a bunch of meetings mainly with his friends I, I really wasn't i was a restaurateur by trade but wasn't really in the restaurant circles necessarily um he was and so he set up we, we went and met with a bunch of his friends and showed him what we were doing and the funny thing at least i find it amusing is that universally when we told them what we thought we could build with margin edge they said yeah it's not gonna work universally they're like that's not gonna work like the the complexity of the data coming in for restaurants the number of line items a number of substitutes a number of blah 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 right all the stuff we know the you know my little mm-hmm. sushi place has 800 unique items like there's a ton of noise in the data and for us to automate that for somebody they literally this is back in like 2014 like yeah it's not gonna happen like it sounds like a nice idea it's not gonna happen and so roy and i sat back and i was like ah, I, I know I can do it. Like it's, it's, it's materially different than what we had done in the past. Cause it's a new level of sophistication. Like, like the thing I built didn't do line items and recipes and the real detailed stuff. Um, right. And so, but I knew I could do it. I knew we could do it. And so he and I, put up some money, we said, give it a try. And so we, uh, we hired actually a guy to be our CTO who had, I had been with. Uh, he had worked for me in my first software company back in the nineties. And so he actually brought on a few people he knew. And so we had a small team of like uh, five or six of us in a little tiny office space. And uh, for really two and a half, three years, we did not, I, we, Roy and I were big believers that we weren't gonna go and do any sales and marketing until we were proud of what we were selling. And yep. uh, Roy is an old school restaurateur. He used to like to say, "The best marketing is four walls marketing," right? Which, which means if people come in and have a good experience, they're going to go out and tell people. And you can't buy marketing that good, right? Yeah, and yeah so, for sure. So for our software, that was our thing. We wanted four walls marketing. So we only had like twenty clients for literally years until we felt like it was really good, and then we went out and started telling people about it. And we didn't we didn't spend a penny on sales and marketing for almost four years. Um, but yeah, that's the genesis.
0: Yeah so okay so here we are 15 minutes into this uh, into this episode into this interview and we haven't talked about what margin edge is oh. so Tell tell people what and most people know what they are, but I want to hear. I want them to hear sure. it in your words. What what is margin edge?
1: Yep. So margin edge solves the back office problem I was just talking about, where there's so much data coming in and you don't know what's going on. You can think about it in uh, sort of three legs of a stool. So one leg is uh, your purchases, right? Everything that you purchase. So we we have an app on the phone. You take a picture of every invoice that comes in. That allows us to see everything you're buying. Doesn't matter who it's from. It can be your rent bill. It can be food, beer, wine, liquor, chemicals, anything. Take a picture of it. We process it. The other leg is point of sale. So we integrate, uh, I think, 62 point of sales at this point. So we'll integrate into the point of sale system. And every night we pull not just what you sold, but we pull line items. How many French fries did you sell? How many burgers? How many sides of lettuce or sides of salad, whatever? So that gives us everything you sold. The third leg is the point of, is the accounting system. So we're integrated into about 15 or 16 accounting systems, the little ones like QuickBooks and Xero and the big ones like Intact and Microsoft Dynamics. And basically what that does is it allows us to take all that data we're collecting, everything you bought, everything you sold, feed it into the accounting system so there's no more data entry into the accounting system. And at the same time, we've captured all that data. So then we have just a wealth of tools on top of it. So we've got inventory management, recipe management, order guide management, right? You can do all your outbound orders, setting pars. You can track your, you know, food, beer, wine, liquor costs. You can do theoreticals. So you can know how many potatoes you bought, how many French fries you sold. So you know exactly how many potatoes should you left on the shelf. Really, really deep analysis on, all that flow of information. But again, the core of it is, the tour doesn't enter data. That's what it was all about. Restaurant management systems existed before Margin Edge, right? but we didn't use it because of the data entry nightmare. Every line item of every invoice on everything that comes in, uh, but we do that for you.
0: It's, uh, it's an incredible piece of software, and I remember the first time I was introduced to it, which I'm embarrassed to say was only about a year ago, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Now I haven't been
1: working in restaurants for for years, so uh, no, we're fairly with new as far as though. people hearing about us. it's not surprising. I mean, like I said, we didn't. It wasn't until you know twenty nineteen, twenty twenty that we really even came out, so to speak.
0: It's um, okay. So then I don't feel so horribly bad because this is probably, I don't know, early or mid twenty twenty one when I was introduced to it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this thing is incredible!" And I felt the same way. Um, that I'm sure all these other operators that you talked to uh felt which I was like i i the first thing I said was it's too good to be true um i i don't I can't imagine it it does all of that and it does it as frictionlessly um as it does as as it proposes um to do it, but it does and it's as powerful as uh you say it is and Um, it's easy for me to say that. I've got tons of clients on it now. Thank you very much. I mean, simply because it works and it does everything you're saying it does. Thank you.
1: Yeah, one of the things I'm the most proud of with it is that It really is designed to be easy to use. So we have a lot of clients that come in and don't have a lot of that stuff. Like they don't have the recipes or they've got inventory sheets, but they're really outdated or, you know, they're starting from a a relatively basic level. Um, But the software allows you to get value at that or, you know, add a thing add a thing right now you can add some recipes you don't add all your recipes add some recipes if you want to do your first theoretical you don't have to do it on everything you make just take your one sea bass entree put in one recipe map it to one button and you can have a theoretical on just one expensive protein right or there's there's a bunch of ways you can slice it and dice it and um and not have to sort of you know eat the whale so to speak you can get into it you know I'm going to,
0: you're being, you're being nicer, but uh, this is what I tell you. You got to eat the whale. This is what I tell everybody. Like you got to do it and it's going to be like 40 hours of really bad work. It's like, it's like a really busy couple of weeks, but the data you get, the insights you get on the backside of that are so, are so valuable. I always say that, you know, that the numbers don't tell you what to do, but they tell you the right questions to ask, right? They tell you where to look. It's, It's very easy to look at something and go, Oh, you just start highlighting things or circling things and if we you know are the questions we ask the decisions we make are only as good as the data we get um this program because i worked with you know I, listen i've been managing restaurants working restaurants for 22 years and uh and i've worked with a bunch of probably the predecessor the sure. predecessors of this program and what they were able to do 15 20 years ago uh was cool and this is just on another Level, I can't sing its praises uh, highly enough because I think it's that I think it's that profound of a piece of software.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with you. If you are, if you have the, you know, wherewithal to eat the whale, so to speak, to do, to go all in, it's a, it really is a wonderful thing. Um, it's just that intimidates a lot of people, and so, you know, getting in, getting your feet wet, and gradually having a ramp up is just something that I think is a. Um, it's just, it's yeah.
0: Today's episode of Restaurant Strategy is also brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Great restaurants are built by great teams, and Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag-and-drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a lot easier. From back-of-the-house to front-of-house, managers, franchise owners, and large corporate teams, Seven Shifts has benefits at every single level. Plus, it integrates with the other systems your restaurant already uses, like POS and payroll. Turn your team into your competitive advantage. Restaurant Strategy podcast listeners also get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash restaurant strategy. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash restaurant strategy to get three months absolutely free and join over 30,000 restaurants currently using 7 Shifts today. And this is probably a, And this is probably coming from a coach, right? The coach in me, um, I, I always like to say, you could do anything for short sprints, right? If you've got a really hard couple of weeks, I think we can get through that. What we can't get through as individuals is like three long, hard months, six long, hard months. Um, right. I remember I was working at a restaurant a couple of years ago and one, we were a lean, mean staff and one of the managers uh, broke her leg and she was out for like five months and we were like, we really can't replace her because when we're going to have to let somebody go there's nowhere to move that other person so we all just sort of buckled that was a long, yeah. long 5 months it was the right thing to do yeah you know, but for, that's for rough. everyone but it was rough and the same thing is true here and what i find that if we let it go we'll just let it go and let it go and let it go and let it go and then we'll never get it done and so and every week that goes by that you don't put these recipes in
1: that's fair
0: right it's just then all the invoices you get in are not being scanned, right? And that's the beauty of what you've built, right? Is that you don't have to import uh, input new prices when they come in, right? Um, you just scan the invoice. You just take a picture of the invoice and it automatically updates all of your recipes, Right. Um, which, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong over the last year, this has been, uh, this has been the value of this piece of software as food costs have gone through the roof and back again.
1: Yeah, no, that's right. And, and, and even. The last couple of years right all the way back to COVID, like the the need to change menus so dramatically because you were switching to delivery you were switching to takeout right you were you know we saw yep. the, the percentages just coast go, go crazy right for what restaurants were doing people who did three percent delivery were suddenly 70 percent delivery right like just crazy yep. and so yeah so through that period and then yeah the last year and the um the inflation it's it is interesting. I mean, I think I think one of the things that I would not have guessed necessarily in twenty twenty when when the shit hit the fan is that uh, restaurants really have been more open to technology. Like it has absolutely uh, opened a lot of eyes to how technology can be helpful. And yeah, you know, some of the people some people probably begrudgingly, and some people probably happily. But nevertheless, uh, you know, we're in we're in a different age than we were three years ago for sure.
0: The rest of the I world think- moved here fifteen twenty years ago. I mean every other major industry adopted technology and has integrated it um successfully. Certainly my, more successfully my first than we company
1: have. was higher ed tech. I sold software to large universities and I remember thinking in ninety nine that all of the other industries had already adopted technology yeah. and universities were the last.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: well, it's funny because I'm a big proponent of technology
0: and I spend a lot of time uh, traveling all around the country uh, speaking about specifically on the topic of hospitality and tech, specifically how we can use technology to make uh, more hospitable uh, experiences, right? To make sure. more hospitable restaurants. And here, if we get back five or 10 manager hours, uh, it's just five or 10 hours that they can be spent doing Things that actually really really matter—not just babysitting, not just whack a mole—but yep. actually doing things to to proactively manage. And frankly, uh, the, the things they probably
1: like better, also, right? It's the interacting with customers, and it's the it's the stuff on the floor. It's not in the back of the office, back you know, some terrible little room with a card table, trying to enter data into a computer or a spreadsheet, sure. and stacks of invoices next to you, and ugh.
0: But the other piece to this, right, is that you spend so much long uh, inputting the data that you don't have the time or energy to actually analyze the data, which defeats the purpose of putting sure. the data in to begin with. Sure. Maybe a bookkeeper sees it at the end of the month as they're trying to generate a p Okay, that's what you did, but you can't use that in real time. Talk right. to me about this, because this is something I'm a big, um, I'm, again, I'm really vocal about, which is uh, proactive management right that we have to set ourselves up so we can actually manage in the moment rather than you know we've certainly sat, I've been and worked at plenty of restaurants where we do this where we sit back at the end of the month and somebody says oh you know revenues were down you know 5% from our projections what happened well i don't know i mean it rained last weekend and we're just trying yeah. to figure out hey why didn't we hit why didn't we hit the numbers that we were supposed to hit right. rather than hey it's going to rain this weekend so we're probably going to be down off our projections what does that mean for the last 11 days of the month right Right. if these three days are going to be a wash yeah let's let's at
1: least let's let's at least order less food and not have our cogs off the charts and, and we can still be profitable at the lower number if we're managing properly so talk so
0: talk about that then about this idea of proactive management. How does this software cuz I I think you believe what I believe which sure. is probably why we're having this conversation. Yeah. Specifically what are some of the ways that uh that you or uh the clients who use this end up uh, utilizing that to do that?
1: Yeah, well fundamentally if you want proactive management you have to have information that's current right like just before you even get into any details right it has to be current information and that's what margin edge is all about you're getting all of your data through this morning every day so you're finding out everything you bought all all week you're seeing where you are trending through a period you're seeing you know um uh, what your changes in inventories are you can you can order against pars each day so you can manage you can manage the data live um and uh you know it 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 know, it depends on what you're looking at. Like, if you're looking at purchasing, like, you know, price alerts, we have price alerts and price movers. So like, you can log in and see on a screen. One of my my pet peeves was always like, like you're saying, end of the month, you get a report, food cost is high. And somebody says, well, avocado prices went up. Right. And you're like, okay, but did anything go down? (laughs) Right. And like, so we have this price mover sheet that you can look at. It's always live. You look at it and it tells you everything that changed prices, and it tells you what the impact to you was because of the change in price. So it's not just a dollar change or percentage change. It's $28. You know, avocados cost you $28 more because the price is up and you bought X amount. Right. And it's stack ranked yep. with the things that you saved your money on too. And, Pretty often, when you look down, they actually balance out, and so you know people will uh, miss a number, focus on one thing, and then the reality is they're not taking the whole picture. And so, you know, that's one example just on on your purchasing. Then also on the menu, you know, we've got the we've got the classic, you know, high sellers, high high profit margin charts, right, where you can see what are we yeah. selling a lot of that's very high profit. You can see the dogs, right, the plow horse, and then the dogs, which are like, you know low low margin and low volume and so you can look at those things and see like how do we adjust our menu that's not obviously a day-by-day question but but something you can do in real time um yeah, and you know, the, even the menus like you could log in in the morning. You could look at it. You could see my salmon entree is the best food cost at the moment. So in our in our uh, pre-shift meeting, we're going to talk about how everybody's favorite dish is salmon. <laughs> we see, all I love it. We so all love some salmon. Is, <laughs> but here's the thing, right? Like we
0: had all that information. We just didn't have. We couldn't access it quickly enough to actually make decisions or put it into practice. I love what you just said. You open it up and you can see the real time prices of the products that you get in. Again, if you eat the whale and put it all in. Right. Right. If you put it all in, once it's in there, you can utilize that to make decisions. We say, oh man, we're going to make a great margin on salmon this weekend. Everybody loves salmon <laughs> that, I can not I c I can't I can't let that go without just making sure that the listeners really understand that. That is huge right? Yeah. restaurants have been around for how many hundreds of years we've never been able to do that. And we can now.
1: That's right. Yeah. So much of it was gut before, right? It, it, a dish used to be profitable. And so you just keep hammering it over time and it may not yep. be anymore, right? There, there's a lot of moving parts.
0: Yep. I'm, uh, I'm constantly, so I do some version of the, everything you're talking about. I do by longhand. Sure. Uh, Cause that's how I learned how to do it 18 years ago, 19 years ago. And when I teach, Clients, when I teach people, when I consult, um, I teach them how to do it longhand, <laughs> and yeah. then I oftentimes point to a, a piece of software and say, "Hey, this is how to do it by longhand." And if you don't want to do this every week, this is the program that does it—that uh, does it behind behind the scenes. And one of the things that I teach is this, uh, what I call a menu matrix exercise, which is you look at your product mix and you look at your food costing you know, <laughs> laid over top of each other. You can see what's both popular and profitable, or unpopular and unprofitable, or you know some version of that, because you got an x and y axis, and it's going to plot it in one of four quadrants. That's right. And the goal, obviously, is to put as much as you can in the upper right quadrant—things that are very profitable, uh, that are also very, very popular—and we just don't realize there's there's an opportunity cost, right? Every time somebody orders, right, they're going to come in. Everyone's going to order an appetizer and an entree. Every time somebody orders a less profitable appetizer, you're leaving money on the table because they could have ordered something else that was highly profitable. Right. And so I want them to order the things that are as profitable as possible so we can make as much money from every cover that comes in as we possibly can.
1: Another twist on that that I think is, is super important that my partner Roy talks a lot about, and I guess the Outback group focused on a lot, was um, you know, a lot of us talk, and, and the way I had frankly thought about it usually is... Uh, Percentage, food cost percentage, right? And he really hammers the return to net that, like, you may get a lower percentage on something, but people, if somebody's willing to spend more money on a higher cost, entree, your return to net on that entree could be much better like the actual dollars you take in right your the actual, your actual gross amount, which profit, is one of the things right could be more profitable even though the percentage cost is a little bit higher um, which I think is great advice and so we've actually added that in our in our menu analysis so when you're looking at the menu analysis you hit one button and it's percentage and you hit one button and it's it's return to net right the I actual love it. I don't dollars.
0: think I realize that you guys do that it's one of the things I talk about all the time it's so crucial Because when you look at it, you're like, you know, (laughs) food cost percentage is good. It's a good barometer to tell you know where you're at. But at the end of the day, um, I can't pay payroll with my uh, percentage. I can't pay uh, my vendors with percentage.
1: An inexpensive entree, something very cheap, but with a great food cost, isn't going to get you anywhere.
0: Correct. It's one of the things that we we always do. I'm like, I don't want anybody ordering something for six bucks. I want them ordering the fourteen dollar appetizer or the twelve dollar appetizer. $6 $6 uh, side salad doesn't need to be on here. Right. Um, make it available, but it's available by hand if somebody were to ask for it. Um, or, or what I often tell people, it's like, make it an $11. So we're almost doubling the price. I said, okay, so what would you have to, this is another Seth Godin thing he always says, you know, if I forced you to charge twice for that item, what would you have to do to convince the consumer in the eyes of the consumer to make it worth what you're now charging? And of course, it's a thought experiment that has absolute uh, application to uh, to what to what we do. We we shouldn't be selling anything that doesn't help us right. um, pay our bills. Stay open to stay open. <laughs> so, talk to me over the course of the last year. I mean, obviously, uh, the operators listening to this uh, podcast, um, I think, find great value. Uh, from the guests we get to bring on like yourself who gets to peek behind the curtain at a lot of different restaurants talk to me about some of the common threads right we've been to hell and back again what are restaurants largely doing right what are we doing right as an industry I'll start there
1: I think um, I think one of the the, the things that, that are right is simplifying menus is trying to uh, you know I think before the before covid um, it had just gotten more and more complicated and people are adding more and more things to the menu and, and, and restaurants were reaching further and further. And then when COVID hit, it was like, Oh my God, right now it's takeaway. It's packaged. It's, it's the, the amount of things you can do had to go down dramatically. And then as the restaurants opened back up, I think they stayed to that sort of, trying to keep a cleaner menu, less items, be more productive with the stuff that you're doing. Um, And I think that that really is critical in managing food costs. If you want to uh, keep a, if you want to keep your food costs down, the first thing you want to do is keep a tight inventory, right? And if you, if you have a, gazillion different items on your um on your menu or a gazillion different ingredients you just can't keep a tight inventory you can't keep tight ordering right it's it's very very hard so i think simplifying the menu i think you know people we all know have had to diversify so much into the the delivery and takeout that they've gotten much more creative on diversifying the revenue i know it's equally hard because the the third-party uh delivery services are all taking such a large cut that 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 definitely cuts both ways but um but still at least has, has brought some more creativity to, to the restaurant business. Um, and I think we've all, you know, I, I I think there was a, there's always been a fear of pricing yourself out of the market and recipes, right. Um, menu pricing has always been something that's hard for us as owner operators to just push up the price. I think for most of us, I think we've gotten over that to some extent, right? Like you have to charge enough, right? Like you have to charge enough. Um, I think I think one of the areas that that I will say as a both a consumer and a restaurateur, I find frustrating is that we we can't quite figure out where to land on service fees versus tips versus um, you know uh, passing through credit card fees right? like that whole like uh, I mean it is it's pretty frustrating right you go to you go to six restaurants and even as a consumer now I'm like there's six different ways people want me to tip. Like some don't want tips Some add 20%, right? Some add a partial P payment. Some add 20% and still ask for a tip. Like, uh, that part I think is going to drive consumers insane. If we don't find some way to, to standardize. Do
0: you see any standardization coming or do you, I, I, I'm of the opinion that I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, because we got to really get people over that threshold where they're really annoyed at how things are, and I don't know if they're really an, as annoyed as you are.
1: I think it. I think it. It sort of depends on where you are in the country. I think um, in D.C., for example, there is this strong move to get rid of the tip credit, and I know that's true in Seattle and a number of major markets. And I think if the major markets l- literally take away the the right to a tip credit, so that the minimum wage for a server is fifteen dollars an hour, like. Yep. Then the system's just broken. Like then something has to change, and I think I think when we see that happen in the major cities where there literally is no tip credit, you have to pay people you know 15 bucks an hour as servers, then that will then start to trickle out and become the new norm. I think it is going to be confusing and painful in the meantime, but you know DC has got that on the uh, on the um, ticket for this this next election cycle, and um, it looks like it's going to pass. So it's 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 going to be particularly weird in a city, you know, that's bordering Maryland and Virginia, where it bleeds, right? You don't really know which city you're yep. in necessarily when you sit down in a restaurant, but the business model is totally different. Like the same restaurant on the same block, a few feet apart across the border have completely different um, payrolls. Like
0: I've heard this from a lot of operators that say, you know, they feel like You know, when they have the menus in the window and a potential diner is walking down the street and looking at the menus and comparing prices and all of that, that they feel like they've got to somehow justify the added price because, for example, uh, there were no tipping establishment. They're like, you know, we feel like we have to tell them this is why it's 20 percent more because you don't have to pay 20 percent at the end. And and I can and I can understand that. I don't know how many people make their decision based on whether the. The dish is sixteen instead of fourteen, or you know, seventeen instead of fourteen. Um, I think I think less people than than we think.
1: I think that's true, except when you get into these mixed markets where both of those restaurants are within the same vicinity, and then you do start to get to where you know a restaurant that looks like it's twenty percent more expensive. I don't know. I don't know if we could all charge twenty percent more. We'd love to, right? So, I, you know, I, think, I don't know. It's
0: and I think we can. I mean, I really, yeah. this is, I, I went on the record, I don't know, a year ago. I said, coming out of the the pandemic, before even all this inflation stuff started happening, I said, coming out of the pandemic, restaurants are going to be more expensive, and they should be. And I'm, and I'm okay with that. Yes, that means uh, I can only go out so many times. Like, I have to go out less than I... Did otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the challenge is to us as uh, owners and operators uh, to justify the expense and to convince people to come out. It's the same thing that we've always had to do. No. We have to convince people to spend their discretionary income with us as opposed to any number of uh, uh, other avenues.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think. I think the the experience of eating out is more than just picking up a burger, right? And so the sure. the hospitality, the space, the labor, all of the things that you're getting when you go and sit in a nice environment that you know people spend a lot of money to build and and all of that uh, um, that does justify a higher price. I think I think we're all afraid that uh, if that price gets too high, the number of people who do it will go down. And you know we saw pre-COVID. Uh, fast casual growing faster than full service right Uh, meaningfully Um, full service is still growing but but fast casual faster and then with COVID it was like all right fast casual our full service stopped and fast casual kept growing Um, and over the last year we've seen in the numbers I mean one of the interesting things where, where I'm sitting I should say I guess is that we're seeing about uh, $6 billion worth of restaurant purchasing, right? Like every day we get sales from restaurants selling $6 billion worth of stuff. So we've got some really interesting data on what's happening in this. Mm-hmm. And, and what we see is um, the fast casu- the full service stuff has recovered largely and is growing again, but fast casual is still growing faster. So like, I do think the full service environment is never going to collapse, never going to die. We love eating out. We love restaurants and, and all that they entail. But as a percentage of our total spend... It will go down
0: i I, I mean I, I think that's not surprising to me I mean I'm the operators I talk to the owners I talk to their next concept is not a full-service restaurant yeah. their next restaurant is not fine dining their next restaurant is is fast casual yeah. is quick service is uh, uh, a cart is a truck is a you know is a ghost kitchen this is what i'm this is what I'm hearing people want less overhead, you know we we live in a world with we're the two of the biggest companies in the, <laughs> the last 10 years were Uber and Airbnb. You know, right. It's a company with nothing, right. it's a company with air that sells uh, air, they, but they make their money because they, they connect. Right. Um, you know, there's this thing in restaurants, right, which is that um, I, I mean it. I think I think restaurants are going to continue to increase in price and I think they should increase in price. We don't we, we have to think really carefully about what we sell. Right. We're not selling food. And I think when we try to sell right. food, we lose. Um, It's the vacuum cleaner conversation, right? A vacuum cleaner, um, you're not selling selling a vacuum cleaner. Um, You're not even selling a clean floor, right? Like that's the, like you're selling a clean floor, but really what you're selling is status. You're selling that moment when your neighbor comes over for the dinner party, looks around says, oh, your home is beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. That's what the vacuum cleaner is selling. And the vacuum cleaner companies figured out at a certain point how to sell things that way, right? Retail got really good at this. And I think in restaurants, we have to get better at selling connection, at selling status, at selling whatever it is we're selling. We're not selling food. Uh, yeah. Food just is the, the pretense um, for the experience.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think there are a small, small percentage of restaurants that are selling food that are the, the you know, the really um, the Michelin starred places of the world, but overwhelmingly, yeah, I agree. It's, it's experience. Another, another thing my partner used to always say is the, the food has to be right. And it has to be at a minimum quality, but then everything is about the experience, right? So like, if you mess up the food, you're in serious trouble, Sure. but, sure. but you're right. It's the overall experience. And how do you feel when you're there? And how do you feel when you leave?
0: And see, I would even push back on what you said, and I I've spent the majority of my career in fine dining. Okay. And I would say, Hey, listen, I've been doing fine dining for twenty years and I still have a fleeting understanding of everything that is happening on this plate. Right? On how the sauce was built, yeah. what happens to no, the sure. protein when we hit it with fire, what oil and for vinegar sure. do to this thing, what we what happens when we ferment something, uh, how sugar and yeast <laughs> counter it like I I mean, there's there's chemical, there's scientific. Yeah. And never mind that the microgastron,
1: the gastronomy <laughs> all of that. Right? Let alone on and on and on.
0: So I've been doing this for two decades, right. and I have a limited understanding of everything that's going on in this plate. Most of our patrons have a limited understanding of the context of why this works, and and they don't know. That's why fair. this is better than that. They yeah. don't even know that it's better than that. They know it's better if we tell them it's better and we make it as obvious as we can. So I would push back and say, even at that, at the at the highest echelons, for most of the diners in the room, we're still not selling food. We're selling the status of, oh my God,
1: I can't yeah, no, believe I got I the reservation. Yeah, I certainly hear you. Yeah, yeah, I certainly hear you. Like, I couldn't get in. It's, the reservations, you have to book them, you know, 60 days out and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I... I certainly think there's truth in that for sure.
0: I give this talk every once in a while, and it's about the, uh, the difference between uh, luxury and commodity, right? And vis-a-vis that, I talk about how restaurants are really factories, right? No one, uh, no one aspires to own a factory because it's big, it's unwieldy, it requires a huge capital investment. It's, uh, you deal with people and unions, and, and at the end of the day, you're making like right. a widget. Right? The only reason somebody opens a factory is if they know that there's a market for that widget, that they can make the widget for $1, sell it for $5. Well, there's a path to profitability because I can make X number of millions of widgets over the course of a week uh, and be very, very, very uh, profitable. It's the same thing with restaurants, and um, I want to use this to come back to what you guys do, which is to help people get a handle on their stuff. Too many restaurant owners, I think, lose their shirt because they're afraid to charge more. They don't understand where they're losing money, and then when they learn it, they're afraid to charge more. They're afraid to cut their portions because yeah. so much of what we talk about is value.
1: I've certainly been guilty of that myself. Yeah, yeah. No, I've certainly been guilty of that myself. I mean even in my own restaurants, I've always been afraid of price increases and and just hitting a tipping point where people won't come in. And I will say over the last year, I have um, my partner's been much more in control over the last couple of years, he's been much more in control of the pricing, and he has been much more aggressive than I would have been. It's working beautifully. I mean it's really working beautifully. We're hitting we're hitting highs you know, well above where we were pre-COVID.
0: Um, uh, if you didn't raise your prices at least four, five times in this year, at some point, not not wholesale raising everything, but if you didn't address the pricing on your menu to reflect the increasing food prices, like you were totally sunk. And this is the something that I talk to my clients about all the time. It's the beauty of margin edge because you can see if you don't, if you decide not to raise your price, then at least it's a uh, it's a decision, it's an informed decision. But you looked at this. you said, "I'm losing money on this. I'm, I'm losing my margin. My, right. my my margin is narrowing. But I don't think that people will pay more for this item. You you can make a conscious decision. What I think is unforgivable is when uh, is when you don't even go and get the data. You don't even don't even learn. Right? Like the devil you know is better than the devil you don't.
1: No, that's right. And and so many people still. I mean. Probably 80%, 90% of the people we talk to are still either pen and paper or, you know, handing invoices to a bookkeeper and getting a report back at the end of a period, you know, a week after the end of a period. And to your point, like, not only with top line sales trying to remember what went on, but how do you know, like, whether it was the sea bass or the steak that killed your yeah. food costs? Like, how do you know which menu? I'd like, a PNL doesn't tell you anything other than is there cash left over or not? And at that point, there's nothing you can do. Who was working those ships? right like like, like like that's right it's yeah. it, the pnl is a snapshot i always say
0: pnl is only half the it's only half your data right like you need a budget you know you need a pro forma what do we think is going to happen this year? Sure. and then you got to look at the PL, right without the first part the second part is useless because you got to say what do they think was going to happen then what actually happened right and then you got to try and get those closer together but that on its own doesn't help you manage proactively which no. is uh which is my biggest um Gripe with that—that's that the most management we do. Yeah, that's the, when we get everybody together and we look around and we look at the PNL. Oh, I don't know what happened here. You know, well, I mean, we had a couple of returns that Saturday night. You know, I had, I had some some guy on the grill and he screwed up a bunch of steaks. Like, no, that's not why you ran a thirty-nine percent food right. cost because you had to throw out four steaks. So right, it's not. Right, it, it's not. And 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 if you don't, if you're not managing it in real time, um, you can't possibly know. Okay, so I asked you what do we what do I think? uh, What do you think that the industry is doing? Right? Uh, And I loved your answer. I think this great. I'm going to ask you the flip side, where do we where do you think we're still struggling again, because you get to peek behind the curtain at a lot of different operations?
1: You know, we touched on it already pretty thoroughly. But I do think this fear of raising prices, you know, this, it's almost um, self defeatist, right? Like, you're seeing your prices going up, and you're hoping your costs going up, and you're hoping that inflation will go away and you're hoping labor costs will get better and you're hoping, right? Like all of these things that could happen. Right. And you're looking at, if you're not using something that's helping you see what's happening in closer to real time, you're looking at a bank balance. that's just going the wrong way. You know? And I think, I don't think that's frankly a new problem, but I think it's a more intense problem than it used to be. Um, and I think that's, that is at its core, the, the hardest part for the, for, you know, what restaurateurs have to deal with. I think, I think if I, you know, another thing, I don't know that I would say getting it wrong. Cause I, I hate to say something is getting it wrong. If I don't have even a suggestion for what the answer is, but I do think these third party delivery services, there's, there's still, A fundamental problem with this business model where they barely make any money or lose a lot of money depending on the service and they're taking 30 percent of the cut of the top line which no restaurant can afford to do or very few restaurants can afford to do and so restaurants are doing it for their revenue and calling it incremental revenue so it's profitable incrementally but it's not going to pay any of your core costs and like yep we're all doing a lot of it, right? I mean, it's it's many billions of dollars at this point. This is this is something that's going to have to shake out, and and you know, frankly, I think where it probably ends up landing is in ghost kitchens and restaurants go back to focusing on being restaurants, and ghost kitchens focus on being delivery mechanisms, um, because I just don't know how I just don't know how you can get a restaurant with all of its core cost structure to allow for that kind of delivery mechanism and to make those economics work. Like it just, it just, the, that math still doesn't work to me. And I've read the financial reports from the, the third party programs. They're not making any money either on the scale that they're at. Yeah. And they literally talk about how they need to scale up and they're at billions in revenue. Like if you can't make money billions, why do you think you're going to make yeah. money at 10 billion? Right? Like at some point it just doesn't work.
0: I am both cynical and optimistic about what you're talking about. And I'll, and I'll explain a little bit. Um, I am cynical because I think it is going to get bigger. And I don't, I don't think these guys are going to.:, No, ahead. no, no. I don't um, think they're going to go out of business. but I think, to evolve. I think people go there when they're hungry. And I think there's optimism there. Because now we know where hungry people go. Like, where do hungry people go? They go to these apps. And I think there's inherent value in that. Sure. Because there is a market, a marketplace being built. Yeah. There is incredible purchase intent. We know the only time people go there is when they're hungry and they want to order food. They do not want to go into their kitchen. Um, so number one. Number two, and I've heard a lot of really smart people talk about this. I think uh, many, many restaurants are using them in the wrong way. They're using them for revenue. They're using them for incremental revenue, however you wanna phrase it, and I don't think they're meant for revenue. At least that's not how we should be thinking about it on the uh, on the operator side. I think they are customer acquisition tools. I think this is where we go to figure out uh, some hungry people. Hmm. We introduce ourselves to hungry people. And if we have to give away 30%, right? Somebody's gonna whatever, uh, order for uh, 60 bucks worth of food, and we gotta pay $20 acquisition cost, um, I want to know what's the return on the investment. Sure. To invest twenty dollars, what's my what's my return? Not just on this order, but on the annual life, uh, the annual sure. value of the customer, sure. or the lifetime value of the customer. And I think what we're particularly bad about doing is providing them with a better experience than what the Doordashes are offering, right? that DoorDash is offering a better experience. Hey, come here when you're hungry. And I think- uh, Yeah, that's interesting. challenge to the restaurants, challenge to the restaurants to come up with something. This is the same conversation for Expedia, right? Expedia did the same thing. They said, you know, they got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He said, they're your customers, American Airlines, United Airlines, you know, wherever it was, they're just coming to me for a deal. Shame on you for not converting them back. Because they were your customer all along right they 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 came with you six hours cross-country you had six hours on their cross-country voyage to convince them to become your customer not an Expedia customer and six hours on the way back to get all the way back home and they're not wrong and I and I feel that I feel the same is true with the restaurants, I think we've got tons of opportunities to connect with our people. Our transactions last a very long time—an hour, two hours, three hours, sometimes—and um, and I think we we give them stuff, right? We we give them stuff. We we should be able to convince them through what we what we give them. Um, to an alternative. So I am uh, cynical about them going away. I just don't think they're going away. And I think they're going to get bigger because uh, the convenience market is the tip of the iceberg, especially when you look in other markets, specifically in Asia. Asia, the convenience market, takeout and delivery is huge. I mean, five, six, seven X. What it is here, which is incredible to think about. So when they're saying they just need to scale, they can but, scale. Yeah, mm-hmm. no,
1: I, I do think they'll continue to get bigger. I, I think. Yeah, I mean, if you look here, what I think is interesting is if the, the Whole Foods and the Wegmans and the large department stores that realized that takeaway food was actually more profitable than the than the CPGs, the the, the groceries. Right. Um, so yeah, no, I definitely I definitely agree that that industry will grow. It just feels like there are going to be places to more more efficiently mass produce for delivery than every mom and pop restaurant individually creating their own factory in your words for takeaway, like ghost kitchens can just be more efficient, right? They can run multiple brands out of one, one kitchen. They can do it somewhere where they don't have to worry about a dining room floor. They can do it somewhere where they don't have to worry about their, where they are on a street so they can take cheap real yep. estate. And then the economics start to work, right? Like Domino's works because they can have a very low food cost their rent is nothing because they can go anywhere, right? They don't need a street front. Right. They don't need places for people to sit, and they've got a product that travels. And so, restaurants don't meet many of those criteria.
0: That's right. That's right. And I think, and I, and I, and I would agree with all of that. There, but see, here's, here's my optimism in all of that. I, I, that speaks to me to opportunity that I think sure. smart restaurateurs, um, smart individuals, uh, should be able to fill that need. People
1: don't want to cook. People there's certainly demand. There's out. no question. I mean, in there's every, in every. you said it about Asia, but it's true. In every developed country, the richer the country gets, the more people eat out or order in or whatever, the less they cook, the less they prepare food. So there's clearly a trend that we uh, we want people to do this for us.
0: Well, and what's interesting, right, is that this has always been bifurcated. Are we going out or are we eating? In, are we making food or are we going out to a restaurant? And now, largely... You know, takeout and delivery was then some small version of that, but for years, I mean, literally decades here, it was pizza or Chinese. That's what right. people brought in, right. right? And now they're bringing in Mexican and sushi and Greek and all this stuff. And and now with the pandemic, just uh, sped that along. So now it's taking up a market share from both the grocery stores. Uh, I got a bunch yeah. of friends through uh, through my through business school who work on that side of things, and it's interesting hearing their perspective of it. Uh, and then it's also carving away from uh, from restaurants, which is really interesting. Yeah, for um, sure. Listen, we're coming to the end of our time and I, I appreciate your time. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna take up too much more of it. Uh, you talked to me about the good stuff. You talked to me about the bad stuff. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the experience of coming on to Margin Edge. So who is, who is this right for? Who do you find are, are having the most success when people come to you uh, looking for this?
1: Sure. Um... So our clients generally range from one to 25 units. So it's it's not the big enterprise, you know, outbacks of the world, but it's the the local restaurant groups, the local restaurant tour. Um, it can be fast casual or full service. It doesn't actually matter. You know, fine dining versus polished casual. Like none of that really matters. The reality is they all have the same problems, right? We all have the same back of house issues, whether it's it's any of those concepts. So. Um, uh yeah i mean and basically um one to 25 units geographically it doesn't matter we're in the united states and canada and um the onboarding process we do a lot of handholding we bring you in we help you get your systems connected we get you uh we get you trained up we have unlimited uh training and support we've really leaned into um you know, our restaurant roots. And so everyone on our sales team, we're up to I think 40, 45 people on our sales team, every one of them has been an operator. So they've been a general manager, an executive chef, or a director of ops. Every single one of them. So if you talk to somebody on our team, they've done restaurant management for ten years, right? And the same thing, our support team, all restaurateurs, um, onboarding. So yeah, you get you get uh you don't get a tech company, you get people who really understand the problem, people who have lived it for a long time and yeah.
0: I love it. Uh, we've got the link that we're going to include in the show notes. You can go and schedule a demo and check this out. Uh, I really mean it, guys. Um, I didn't. Uh, I'm embarrassed to, to say I didn't know this uh, the software until just uh, just a little while ago. Um, it is every bit as good as uh, as you hope it will be. Um, there is hand holding in the beginning. There is uh, a curve. There is there is a bump at the beginning sure. when you're getting things set up. Um, that is inevitable. Uh, as as difficult as that might be of a hurdle in the beginning, um, I can attest to the fact that it is so smooth after that. um, And it really does give you this data in real time.
1: And I will say the bump is relative to your starting point. So if you have a good recipe set and you give them to us, we can actually do that for you. So we'll load all the recipes in for you and it's actually pretty smooth. If you're starting from pen and paper and you don't really have this stuff, then yeah, the lift is harder, but, but the return is even better, right?
0: Yeah yeah, great. I love that. I appreciate you uh, putting that in there. Um, listen, uh, Bo, last words of wisdom that you can share with the um, uh, with the listeners out there. Again, you get an audience of independent operators from all over the country.
1: I think uh, you know there was a lot of hesitation about technology in the restaurant industry for a long time. I was in a, I was in the same same uh, bucket from like two thousand five to fifteen. I would say there was a lot of people who were out selling technology to restaurateurs that wasn't fully baked, and I think that's changed. I don't think it's just marginage. I think there's a number of technology solutions out there, and the good solutions. Um, uh, integrate with each other. So the information talks to each other, you know, seven shifts, for example, a, a great scheduling tool that we integrate with. And so the data flows back and forth naturally. So, you know, don't be afraid of technology, look for best of breed and make sure they, they talk to each other and they integrate well. And, uh, and you'll be amazed at, at how much it can deliver. Yeah, for sure.
0: Uh, listen, I appreciate you taking the time. Anything else uh, you want people to know before we get out of here?
1: Nope. I appreciate you uh, inviting me. I really enjoyed being here and enjoyed the conversation.
0: No, thanks for your time. And again, thanks for the support. Uh, I I love this product. I'm thrilled to have you guys on on the roster. Thrilled to be able to put it in front of uh, people who are looking for solutions just like this. I appreciate you being here. Awesome. Thank you. Once again, I want to thank Bo for uh, the support, certainly, uh, from Margin Edge, but also for taking the time to sit and chat with us. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of this conversation. Tons of insights, tons of nuggets. This is actually one of those that uh, I would love to go back and listen to uh, over and over again. Uh, Maybe you'll throw it back on your playlist and you can revisit some of these points at a later point. Uh, As always, links are in the show notes. I appreciate you guys being here. I will see you next time.